0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is the History Worth Saving Podcast. Subscribe, like, and share your story ideas at HistoryWorthSaving.com. And while you're there, you can also pick up a copy of my new book, Tales from High Bluff, Stories My Grandfather Would Like, just by visiting HistoryWorthSaving.com. And a special thank you to our friends at The Conversion Mill for making this episode possible. The Conversion Mill turns your existing website visitors into paying customers. Find more at TheConversionMill.com. That's TheConversionMill.com. on this episode of the history we're saving podcast we're talking to mark stevens a story collector a guy that just by coincidence met this cab driver up in denver colorado turns out the two of them struck up a friendship as he'll talk about and then when he died when this friend of his died 25 novels 25 completed novels were discovered in his apartment. <laughs> Think about that. History worth saving, this entire show, it's about getting to know people, getting to know our neighbors, and preserving these great stories. 25 novels in one guy's apartment? Come on now. This is the stuff that legends are made of. And Gary Riley, this Denver cab driver, this, as he calls himself through one of his characters, a failed novelist, pulled off the impossible. And today, his friend, Mark Stevens, who's joining me now, is publishing those works. You're halfway through it, Mark. Did I did I get that right? I mean, what do you do when you come across this kind of treasure trove?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Matt. Um, second, yes, uh, I it's a slightly different version of that story, just ever so slightly. So I did know Gary for the last seven years of his life. And, um, uh, he was, um, slowly but surely letting me read the books he had written over the last 30 or so years. Um, so I had had, uh, awareness of this, um, treasure trove. And I think that's exactly the right word, uh, or phrase because, um, Every time he would bring me one of his unpublished books, of course, I would eagerly go back and read it as quickly as I could because I was such a big fan of the way he wrote. And I was stunned and amazed at the sheer variety of things that he put together um, as well. So, um, you know, my friend Mike Keefe, uh, Mike had introduced me to Gary Um, and as, as Gary's health was declining toward the end of his life, Mike and I just kept talking to each other, um, saying, what are we going to do about this? We can't, um, possibly imagine ourselves as people who know the quality of this guy's fiction. We couldn't imagine not doing anything. We couldn't picture, um, just letting those novels, um, so to speak, rot in, in Gary's closet or in his trunk or wherever he was stacking them up, we knew we had to do something.
0: And let me put this into perspective: uh, Gary Riley, back in, in 1977, sent in a short piece to the Iowa Review. Of course, anybody that knows anything about books knows that the Iowa Review uh, is is an incredibly uh, prestigious publication. And and Gary was actually published in this, back in, in, as I said, in 77. So, he had some chops. I mean, this is not just, you know, this isn't the guy that's written 13 books in his mother's basement. I mean, this guy has some chops as a writer.
1: Yeah, yes. The Iowa Review is top of the top um, in terms of prestige and uh, how difficult it is to get into. So, imagine your first short story you've ever sent off, and you send it off in 1977, you've just gotten out of the Army, You've been bouncing around in some um, classes at the University of Colorado at Denver. You know, you um, are encouraged by a professor to, to do some fiction writing and, and, and this is Gary. He was always, always loved stories. He loved movies. Um, he writes this amazing short story called the biography man, and he sends it off in an envelope. Um, and lo and behold, they publish it. Um, not only that, they give it the first opening slot in the fall 1977 um, edition of their quarterly publication. And you open up, I've got a copy on my shelf. You open it up and there's Gary's name. And and if you're Gary, you're thinking, wow, that was, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm in this amazing publication. I'll keep writing fiction and, for the next 30 years or so, you apply yourself, um, and produce, um, as you've already mentioned, some 25 full length, um, books and, and yet fail after that to ever find a publisher again. Um, so it's, it is remarkable, I, I'm a fiction writer myself. I've been Fortunate to have five novels out. I'm actively involved in um, many, many writing groups, so I know lots of writers all over the country, and I know occasionally writers who have been unpublished who might have made their way through three or four books of you know completing books and seeking publishers, and then sort of giving up um, if if you don't hit it after that that many books. Um, lots of writers all have. Um, Sort of those first test um, sort of drives where you try to put a novel together and it doesn't work out and you might move on to the next and maybe you eventually get it published. So lots of lots of writers have those first early um, sort of practice books that you you acquire or you you finish. Gary kept writing and writing and writing despite no encouragement from from editors or the bigger publishing world. He just loved to write.
0: Let's rewind a little bit. Tell me about Gary uh, as a man. Uh, You've mentioned his service. Uh, Talk to me. Where where do you want to start on this? Because I think it all sort of contributes to this picture of Gary Riley.
1: Right. And um, I can give you my version of Gary, which was the last seven years of knowing him uh, before he passed. Uh, Very uh, gentle, funny, warm. Um, kind of uh, guy, kind of the kind of guy who like um, to be in smaller groups. When I knew him, maybe one or two people to meet for coffee, and shoot the breeze. He'd tell you about some B movie he watched late at night the night before, and laugh at how silly the plot was. And he would um, be somebody who might hear that um, a friend of yours. I mean, I might mention casually to Gary that a friend of mine just finished a book and um, Gary would say, oh, I'd love to read it and give feedback if I could. He was very generous with his time. He was very thoughtful. Um, but the, the one way I would suggest people get to know Gary is to read his books. And I know that sounds um, kind of um, I don't know, crazy in a way, but Gary really knew himself and he poured himself into his fiction particularly uh, the Asphalt Warrior series, which is his series based on his own life as a Denver cab driver. And uh, we are, we are, and we as Mike, Keith, and myself are getting ready to publish the final ninth novel in that um, series this coming summer of 2020. And all the books are about Gary's alter ego, a guy named Murph, Uh, Brendan Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, the Asphalt Warrior, who has two goals in life, and those goals, I think, are very reflective of Gary's own personality. One goal was to earn as little money as possible, and that is obviously exactly the opposite of how most people go into the work (laughs) world. Here's Murph. He wants to just earn a little bit of money to keep his very bare-bones life afloat and um the other goal is to never under any circumstances get involved in the lives of his passengers his fares and he is always always getting tangled up in trying to do the right thing and getting involved in um trying to help his passengers with whatever it is that comes up um somebody might have left a purse in the back seat and he tries to return it um there might be a couple of passengers who go missing after he drops them off at a concert, um, on and on. The entanglements just go from book to book and adventure to adventure. And, and Gary
0: was uh, involved in the military. He was a, a Vietnam police officer, an MP, uh, if I understood right. that correctly. So, you know, there, there, there was darkness in this guy's life, obviously, uh, at some point. But he had the wherewithal to, to as you say, get to know himself enough uh, and then, and then pour that into these into these works. How do you think his time in the service uh, affected the rest of his life?
1: Oh, I think it was very, very um, impactful. Um, it was powerful, and and again, uh, I would steer you to the three books we published based on his um, um, experiences in Vietnam. There's a trilogy. Um, begins with a book called The Enlisted Men's Club. The second book, um, and that book, first one, takes place prior to his being shipped off to Vietnam. It mostly takes place at the Presidio in San Francisco where he was stationed before being shipped off. The second book is The Detachment, and um, the meaning and the title of that book have lots and lots of weight. Uh, When you read it, um, there's the military term for a detachment, but I think anybody who reads it sees how um, Gary's alter ego in these books, his name is Private Palmer, and um, Private Palmer is just very uh, cynical and wary of all the military world that he's immersed in, and um, The Detachment is the middle book, and the third book is um, The Return, where he comes back to the United States, and um, I am, of course, spacing the title right this minute, but I'll think of it in a second, <laughs> and uh and actually, in that book, um, where he comes back to the United States in the third installment, he actually um, becomes a cab driver. So before our eyes, we see the returning vet turn into the Asphalt Warrior, who then becomes kind of the star of those um, comic novels about, based on Gary's life as a cab driver. So Gary was endlessly tapping his own experiences. And um, you can read um, very clearly, uh, his feelings about coming off the war, he didn't really see combat so much. He saw signs of combat. He saw the stress on the soldiers who were in combat. and um, uh, it weighed heavily on him. i I really believe it was a powerful influence on his entire life. Well,
0: and to me, it just sort of it it echoes what you said earlier that uh, he was a guy that that was comfortable around. Uh, just a few people to to share a story. And in a way, as a cab driver and as someone that is sort of living, if you will, just on the edge, on the edge of the circle uh, there, he's able to really witness this stuff and, and sort of stay removed in, in really a lot of different aspects of his life. And I think that's just fascinating.
1: Well, I think you really nailed it on the head there, Matt. Um, reading these books, uh, one of the most remarkable things is Um, his ability to reflect on everything around him. Gary was not somebody who took, um, you know, he just didn't take life as it came to him and accepted it. He challenged everything. He was a bit of an iconoclast, a bit of a cynic. Um, But the paradox is um, both through the Vietnam novels and through the Asphalt Warrior series uh, is Gary's huge heart. He's always doing the right thing to help out his fellow man. He claims to be kind of um, the observer, the distant one, the somebody who doesn't want to get tangled up. Um, but ultimately, and there are very moving scenes where he um, ultimately uh, does what anybody would say is the right thing to do um, in, sort of in terms of a moral compass. Um, these are not... The, the Vietnam books are, there's some difficult passages to read. Um, Private Palmer is self-destructive. Um, he gets uh, very lost in drugs and beer and just trying to kind of numb himself to what's around him, but walks right up to the brink and edge of total disaster and pulls himself back and ultimately does some very moving um human things um for both his fellow soldiers and for and for some of the vietnamese population in the surrounding area so they're powerful books and they've received incredible notices um the detachment for for one example um you know was compared to catch-22 um it's been um really highly lauded by even just great literary Writers like um, Ron Carlson and Stuart O'Nan um, received great notices from Kirkus and some other major national book review sites.
0: So here you are, uh, working on this uh, uh, this this really literary uh, this literary mountain uh, that that is all of Gary's works. Uh, did you talk to him about this before you you know before he died? Did you say this is what I want to do?
1: Well, um, Mike went to Gary, um, basically as Gary was in the last few months of his life. He had cancer and we, it was a slow, um, decline in some ways, um, probably about an 18 month or two year process. Gary fought hard, um, got all the treatment, but, um, his last few months he was conscious, but not moving very much and just confined to his, his bed. And, um, Mike went to him and got permission um, we needed permission from Gary to do this, um, so after writing millions of words of fiction, Gary Gary signed a three-sentence will, and the, one of the sentences gave me and Mike permission to publish his books, um, which was fantastic. And, um, you know, when Gary was around, when Gary and I were having regular coffees and talking about getting published— uh, I was very strongly encouraging him to do more networking, to get out to conferences, to go meet agents and editors, and try to um, just be a little more aggressive about trying to get his hands in the his his writing in the hands of good folks who could do something with it. And um, Gary would try from time to time. He would reach out to an agent. He might get a request to read you know, 50 pages or something. And then if it became a a no, if it turned into they're not interested, Gary really wouldn't follow up. He wouldn't, he didn't play the numbers game, I guess I would say, which is means, which means you really need to just kind of make lots and lots of contacts and just find the right publishing relationship for you. And uh, he just, um, he would go in fits and starts and not really do the complete, self-promotion thing he, he was not a big self-promoter he he thought that i think in some ways he thought that the quality would sell itself and it sh- should have but it's just a very crazy publishing world where publishers have lots and lots and lots of options of things to publish and you know he just couldn't find the right right deal during his lifetime so he left it to us, which, you know, we appreciate, but we certainly wish he was around to see the response, which has been fantastic.
0: Talk to me about his, about his personal life a little bit, because the more, the more you learn about this guy, I know I find myself going, well, was he married? Did he, did he have a family? I mean, where, where did he wind up in all of this?
1: Yeah. In terms of his personal life, he had a long, long time girlfriend, uh, Sherry Peterson, who um, supported him for, um, long time, decades. Um, apparently, uh, he told her that they would get married when he sold his first novel. Um, he didn't see the need to get married. I don't know if there was discussion of having kids or a family. Um, I'm not privy to that. But um, Sherry is a wonderful person. We're still in touch, you know, with her to this day, and um, she is. Um, just an amazing, amazing woman. Um, but there was no kids. He is from a large family himself, many brothers and sisters. And he bounced around as a, as a kid, the family moved quite a bit because the father was involved in, um, in, um, basically dime stores, old school dime stores, and was involved in a chain where he moved from town to town. So Gary bounced around a bit as a kid um, and, uh, you know, went to high school and then um, got drafted and had all those experiences, came back and started working on his college degree. And um, I don't know at what point he started driving a cab, but he drove a cab for many, many years and just um, kind of put his life together the way he wanted to put his life together and not under anybody's kind of normal, you know, kind of path, upper middle class path of saying, I'm going to get a college degree and then go get a job with a coat and a tie. That just wasn't Gary. I
0: love, I love this, uh, this line that he wrote here. The desire to write is one of the few desires I possess that doesn't overwhelm me in the way that the desire to drink beer or smoke cigars does or watch tv or date or sleep till noon I, i'm not that good at resisting desires or resisting desires but for some reason i'm able to fend off my desire to write and, uh, and he, he, there's there's so many of these that you've published here uh, on on various websites but it, it, you know you get an idea that this guy uh this guy has a sense of humor and and not only does he have a sense of humor but as you've said earlier he just knows himself. And I, to me, it's just so great. And this one of these lines in here just really jumped out at me where he says, I was afraid that if I went ahead to, and wrote a Western, I would be dipping into the realm of what my creative writing teacher called formula fiction. I hated the idea of becoming a formula fiction writer. What if I got the formula wa- uh, wrong? Think of how embarrassing it would be if I tried to become a formula fiction writer and found out I didn't have the talent to sink that low. I mean, you know, I mean... He, he you get the idea of how fun it would be to have a coffee with this guy or just to sit in oh. and smoke a cigar with the guy
1: yes well his books the asphalt warrior series are jammed with observations like that and not only about writing um because of course being an alter ego brendan murphy ak murphy F. asphalt warrior um he was complete alter ego in terms of being a taxi driver also in terms of being a failed novelist so Gary poured all of his observations about writing into Murph's head and we got to experience how Gary viewed that world and many frustrations along the, the lines of the one you just read, um, are there. Um, and that same humor Gary applies to just about every possible situation you can Im- imagine. So yeah, Gary was incredibly funny. He loved to laugh. Um, um, I mean, I I can say that uh, what I would call the batting average of people who do pick up one of the Asphalt Warrior novels and read it, um, the batting average is very high. You know, I'd say 99 out of 100 readers immediately realize that they are reading a very fresh, original voice, a very clear, powerful voice um, in terms of fiction. And it's that combination of deep self-awareness um yeah which gary had i think he had incredibly deep awareness of who he was and what he stood for and what interested him um coupled with that feeling of just being on the outside of of just being in a unique position to view the world um you know it takes i think it takes artistic guts to take that position to put yourself in a in a very vulnerable place where you're going to um, pour yourself out on the page and create a really compelling character to um, be the vehicle for your attitude about the world. Um, and I, I think readers who, who, who dive into Murph will see that um, there is another way to think about it. We don't have to all be following the same sort of path that somebody else may have designed for you whether it was a parent or a mentor or your career counselor or your college counselor that you can kind of just get to know yourself and become an artist um it depends on what your means of living are going to be like and you know what you're gonna um what kind of levels of comfort you want as opposed to um you know, what are you going to sacrifice to get that? I think that's what Murph asks us. What are we, his biggest question, Murph's biggest question is why does anybody do anything? Why do we get up and go to work? Why do we get up and go anywhere? What is the essential human motivation for our day-to-day activities? What are we trying to accomplish? And I think for a lot of us, we don't stop and ask ourselves that question often enough.
0: I'm going to read one more. He says, a lot of artists start out as failed poets then move on to being failed short story writers. That's where I'm at. uh, Before they finally break through to the big time and become failed novelists. And if they're like me, they branch out to become failed screenwriters. A few take the high road and become failed playwrights, but most just stick with being failed novelists because the potential to make lots of money is greater. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's just sort of laughing at himself there, and exactly what you just said, and I think it, I think it paints such a great picture. So, the Asphalt yeah. Warrior uh, is available there, the entire series at theasphaltwarrior.com. dot We'll quick link it into the show story, uh, so folks can find find this series. Uh, but but tell me about this new book that's coming out uh, the 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 last of the
1: the last of the line, if you will. Sure. So um, the last of the Asphalt Warrior series. Is called Varmint Rumble. And it's um, uh, Murph gets tangled up with a motorcycle gang um, called the Varmints. And uh, again, the reason he gets tangled up is because of his um, gesture at the beginning of the book to stop and check on what appears to be um, a dead uh, body in the middle of a road. I won't go into a lot of detail, but the next thing we know, he's being. Um, pulled into this motorcycle gang. And um, so, yeah, this comes out this summer. Um, and and one of the things that is apparent when you're reading it is that Gary wrote it. Um, what was one of the last books he was writing because in it, Murph grap- grapples with death and looming death, um, as was Gary at the time. Um, so there's some very moving parts in it, but it's all played for ultimately um that same murph character and that same wry kind of cynical attitude about the world um so that will complete the asphalt warrior series and we have um approximately another 10 or 12 books somewhere in that area to go mike and i have read them read them all um we of course are slowly but surely you know, picking off the ones we want to see get out there into the into daylight, but we have some straight up literary, multi generational family sagas to publish. Gary left behind some science fiction, um, some fantasy, uh, so we have a long way to go.
0: And I will say that he's built a very, very loyal following. Uh here among, among his readers, which I think is great. Mark, let me ask you because you, you are an author yourself, uh, an accomplished writer. What have you learned in, in this process? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a noble, noble cross for uh, a man to pick up and, and carry across the finish line an, an, another man's work uh, posthumously. I mean, what, what have you learned through this, uh, through this process?
1: Well, um, One thing, I mean, I constantly think about with Gary is back to that um, believing in yourself kind of business, and I do think Gary believed in himself. You don't write 25 novels without believing in your ability. Um, Gary knew they were good, but he missed that piece. And what I want to do when I meet with writers who are at all uh, feeling insecure about Pitching themselves um, once they finished a book is to be fearless in uh, and and to be kind of just gent- gently, gently uh, relentless in terms of just continuing to reach out um, to publishers and editors and agents, anybody who can read your books, uh, read your works, and give you feedback. Um, and I would even criticize myself for not doing a better job early on in my career of really just getting a hundred percent behind your story, getting, um, you know, half a dozen or eight professional analyses done of your book and taking that very seriously back to the, back to your drawing board, back to your writing process, whatever it is and making the book a better book and going back out and trying again to sell it, in a much more, purposeful, organized way. And I think Gary would have been successful if I could have, you know, taken all my great 2020 hindsight of, you know, how, how long I've been around the business at this point, if I could have just organized his um, his marketing push for himself to find a publishing house that would have scooped him up and made him a star. Um, I, think, I think as artists, we tend to we put a lot of energy and work into the pros. And then when it comes to finding the business, you know, when we dive into the business side, which is going out to find the publishers and the agents, editors, whatever it might be, we tend to kind of in general, I think some of us kind of shy away from that process and we don't get as official about it and as organized as we need to be. So,
0: Well, and that's a, uh that's good a good lesson there for me i just uh have the first beginner book out right so i'll take your advice but for gary I, I can't help but wonder i can't help but wonder if if he's looking down going well thanks thanks mark i i really appreciate what you've done but i don't know if i'd do it any differently yeah you know yeah, i mean that's he, what... he, he's the guy that beat the system at the end of the day right do as yep. little work as possible and and just get it done and and here we have 25 completed works and uh, the ninth in the series out on the way mark the work you're doing uh you and mike it it you know it can't be it can't be undervalued thank you for what you're doing in this process because it's really cool work and i'm i'm so glad you came on the show and shared a little bit with us Thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. And tell folks how they can read your work, Mark, because you can't say something like you just said and then not get that out there. So let's let's hear it, Mark.
1: Oh, My, my website is writermarkstevens.com. I write a mystery series based on um, a female hunting guide up in the Colorado wilderness, um, the Allison Coyle mystery series.
0: All right. Mark Stevens, thanks for coming on, and I hope you come back at some point.
1: Thanks, Matt. All right.
0: You can find out more at HistoryWorthSaving.com. I am Matt Jolly, and if you want a copy of my book, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. You can find the Tales from High Bluff anywhere books are sold, especially on Amazon, or you can just click the link right on HistoryWorthSaving.com. My thanks to each of you for being here. And remember, get out there and get to know your neighbor because, trust me, these stories, the stories that we tell on here, you have them in your own backyard. You You can't appreciate someone you certainly can't like them if you don't know them. And as I've said before the entire last year, this country is so incredibly divided right now. We can't move forward unless we get to know each other. And all of that, all of that, that knowledge that we gain from our neighbor, that's the history that's worth saving. And Mark Stevens and Gary Riley, they certainly fit that mold. Until next time, I'm Matt Jolly, and this is History Worth Saving